Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin. My co-host Bruce Kelly is on vacation, spring break. I think he's getting, he's working on his tan this week, but uh, he'll be back next week. This episode is sponsored by Schwab Asset Management. We want to thank them, and we want to thank our guest this week, Lindsay Swanson, founder of Stripper Financial Planning. Uh, a little bit of the backstory on Lindsay: she she became kind of a uh, kind of a phenom in the in the financial news publishing industry for her unique niche. I first uh, wrote about Lindsay in January of 2022, and uh, we're going to talk about the niche. Uh, you might be able to deduce what she focuses on by the name of her company, but uh, we're going to talk about that niche and and how it's developing and where she's going from here and all that fun stuff. So. Lindsay, how you doing? Thanks for being here. I'm good, Jeff. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, we're uh, we're looking forward to this conversation. Let's talk about your niche. The company name is Stripper Financial Planning. So I'm not gonna. I already know the answer here, but tell <laughs> us what you're uh, what you what you focus on there yeah. as a financial planner. Definitely. So um, I run my own financial firm, an independent RIA. Um, I'm fee only, advice only, and I just service sex workers. So. I work with people who do online work, in-person work, whether that's dancers, models, um, actors, things like that. Um, but yeah, a lot of that includes uh, stripping or some form of stripping. So that's why I called it that. But ultimately, the reason I have such a specific name is because um, I don't want people to have to guess at what I do. So it's very clear from the jump what I do, who I work with mostly. Um, and that makes it a lot easier for people to find me and and for people to understand who I'm working with specifically. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna get into that in a few minutes to hear about how how the name has helped you you market your brand. But I want to just kind of this was a curious little thing that I asked you a year more than a year ago when we originally talked for the story I wrote that the name Stripper Financial Planning you weren't at all concerned that people might think you were a financial planner who's also a stripper, right? You know, it's funny that you asked that. I remember that from the first article and you are still the only person who has ever thought that. So I think that, or at least <laughs> explained it to me that way. So I think that, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think okay. that most people, most people, um, get it. Maybe a few jokes, but most people get it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Then I apologize for asking that question <laughs> twice it's okay. and, and still being the only person to ever ask that question. All right. Talk about how you developed this niche, because you're not brand new to the to the uh, financial advisory space, and 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 you've had this this been almost two years now that you've had this this firm, right? Yeah, yeah. I started, you know, I started my firm in in mid 2020, so right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, so going on, yeah, two and a half, three years. Um, but I've been in the financial industry for about. 10 now, which is crazy. Um, and eight years in, you know, traditional fee only firms. So I guess the last three of that being, you know, working for myself. And um, I ultimately just, I wanted to do something different, wanted to work with people who weren't already being served, wanted to do it with empathy and, and, you know, really, really in a vulnerable way where I'm constantly learning. And so far, I've had success. Yeah. But how did you, you focus on this uh, niche of sex workers. I mean, you, it, it must've came to you somehow, right? It did. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a few different ways that it came together. I feel like it came together pretty organically. I, 
I did want to work with stigmatized folks. I didn't know exactly who that was going to be. I didn't want to just, you know, pick pick a party out of a hat or just work with people who are exactly like me. But a lot of it came from my experiences at other firms where, um, you know, sex workers tend to work with people who have a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the people who pay them. And um, the people who have a lot of money tend to to work with financial advisors. And so I did run into that in the past. And I really, I really didn't appreciate how, how sex workers and how, um, you know, trophy wives and mistresses were being treated by financial advisors internally, how they were being, you know, discussed by, by clients of our firm. And, and ultimately, I wanted them to have a different experience. And, and because of all of the compliance and the confidentiality in this industry, it wasn't like I could, I could tell someone like, hey, you know, your husband is actually being really, really condescending and rude to you um, in our meetings. You know, I, I wasn't able to, to speak to that. And so that was one of the things that when I, when I went to start my own firm, I knew like, hey, I can, I can speak to this audience with, with empathy and, and with respect and, and with an open mind. And that's something that I know they aren't getting in other places. Because you are a veteran of the industry to a certain extent, what are some of the things that you recognize as unique needs and challenges for for your your clients compared to somebody who's not in this industry yeah i mean i think that ultimately there is a tension between um between finance organizations institutions and sex workers because sex work and sex workers um, aren't a protected class um, they can be discriminated against and even though wealthy people use the services of sex workers and want them to exist um, they very frequently vote against and argue against their rights. And so um, it's really hard for sex workers to have a reliable um, experience with banking institutions. So whether that's third-party platforms like um, PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, discriminating against them, um, mm-hmm. whether that's just um, you know a bank specifically um, saying, hey, we don't want you to have your money here anymore. It's, it's not a very consistent experience for them because they are discriminated against. And, and that makes it really hard to, to follow the same steps that, that a normal client would. And that I can't necessarily just tell someone to be completely upfront with their bank about what they do and how they do it and expect them to have fair treatment and, and be dealt with, with, you know, empathy and respect. Is it safe to assume that most of your clients are are uh, self-employed or independent contractors or whatever they're they're not w-2 employees um that is safe to assume i would say that everyone i've worked with is self-employed in in some capacity Uh i think also um sex workers tend to be trailblazers in that um a lot of what i see with them is is being reflected in in the general economy of how workers are interacting now whereas most of the clients that I have and the prospects that I talk to, they're self-employed. You know, they might be 1099. Um, they might just be working for themselves and, and dealing with, you know, their own payroll and things like that. But oftentimes they also work a vanilla, meaning a, a, a normal W-2 job on the side. They might be um, someone who pays contractors themselves and runs a business. And so I think we're seeing, um, especially with kind of the newer generations, we're seeing people who, who wear a lot of hats in that they're a manager, they're a boss, they're an employee, they're a contractor, they aren't just one thing. And so, and so they have to think about a lot of different considerations and they have to be an expert in a lot of different things. And, and that's where I can really step in and, 
and help them work through those those issues. Mm -hmm. Is the biggest challenge from your perspective, uh, not the biggest challenge, I shouldn't say, but do, you, do most of the services you provide is that is mostly is it tax management or is it helping them invest their money or or what? Because I mean, I'm looking at it right now from a perspective of a lot of people who are, are not W-2 employees where a lot of this stuff is taken care of at the company level. I would say that I don't have a typical client that has typical questions. It's all kind of across the board, which makes it a fun adventure each time. But the things that we tend to cover first and foremost is really safety nets. Um, you know, we have some built-in safety nets if we're W-2 employees, if we're government employees, things like that. Um, and a lot of times if you're self-employed or if you're working part-time, you don't have access to those benefits. So it's the conversation about, okay, what healthcare options do you have? Um, you know, if you don't have short-term, long-term disability, what does it look like to put that safety net in place for yourself? Um, how long is this type of work um, or this role sustainable for you? Do you want to transition to something else? Uh, so there's a lot of big, big conversations. Um, but there is, there is tax planning too. I don't do tax prep, but I definitely, there are tax planning conversations, especially since so many tax preparers, even more so in the last couple of years are just so overworked and really burnt out. I think that leaves a lot more space for advisors to come in and, and help with the tax planning side and really help you know, talk to their tax repairs and guide them through that process. How do you market your niche? Um, I, I know anybody that's, if anybody goes to your website, I think it's stripperfinancialplanning.com, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's pretty much right there. You can, there's no <laughs> secret what your, what your market is, but how do you market it beyond people finding your website? What, what's your, what's your strategy? And, and this would apply to anybody, any advisor developing a niche, but, but what, what uniquely do you do? To, to build your client base and get the word out that you're there? Yeah, I mean, I think initially, I'm very much into learning. And so I read a lot of books that I really was like, okay, I'm going to apply this and then see how it works. And I think that being a solo advisor and, and, and or, or just running your business in general, you're able to kind of think of an idea and then put it into action as long as it doesn't, you know, violate any compliance things. That's a lot harder to do when you when you have to go through a board of people and, and have it approved by, you know, 15 different people and things like that. So I've been able to do a lot more, I guess, um, A-B testing of, of, okay, I'm gonna try this, see how it works. If it doesn't work, or if I think it could work better in a different way, adjust it. But I read a lot of really good books Profit First, The Story Brand, um, The Lean Startup, um, a few other ones um, where I, I took a lot of those ideas and, and put them into place. But what it started with was um, some assumptions and I guess bets that I made in terms of how people would find me. So one of the big bets that I made with myself was that um, a lot of people who do sex work don't necessarily have a, a network of other sex workers they know and they aren't necessarily going to ask other people in their life for financial or tax prep advice. So in a lot of cases, um, a lot of my clients tend to be younger. And, and you know, if you're a 20 something and you're, you're running your own business and you go to do your taxes or you have questions, if you have those systems in place, usually you're asking, oh, your uncle or your, you know, your mom's CPA or whoever attorney your grandparents work with, things like that. Um, but with a thing like sex work, a lot of times those systems aren't in place or those people, you know, wouldn't be knowledgeable about that. And so long story short, the, the, the bet that I had was that most people would be asking Google. Um, so that's why I was like, OK, I need to be the person that is found via Google. And that isn't necessarily a strategy that works for everyone. Like if I was just working for um, 
you know, web designers. It, it's hard to distinguish yourself as just an advisor working with web designers because so many other people, you know, can be marketing that. There's not really anyone else marketing what I'm doing. And so it's it wasn't easy, but I, I did have, I looked at the advantages that I had and I said, okay, this is something that I know other people aren't talking about online. And so I can pitch myself to magazines. I can write articles where I have backlinks. I can, you know, work with other centers of influence who who give me referrals. And so um, I, I really have leaned on networking organically and just being honest about what I do and where I'm at, what I'm looking for and being open to helping other people. And, and so far that's worked out really well. That's interesting because I know when we first talked, you talked, you talked a lot about your use of SEO and, and how that was helping you. And that's kind of interesting that you, you sort of evolved in that area that you're, I'm, I'm assuming you're still using SEO to its greatest advantage, right? For sure. I mean, I, I think the nice thing about SEO is, is when you first start, it's very hard to get your foot in the door because there's so much stuff on the internet. You know, they, they have all the studies that are like, you know, if you create a video or if you create content, it lasts for, you know, so many minutes online or so many seconds online and that's gone mm -hmm. essentially from people's attention. And so, um, you know, ultimately I've, I've tried to create content and, and be referenced in places where I think my clients and my prospects already are, um, you know, create re relationships with people who, who are authorities and in, in, in other areas that are related to mine. So if that's a sex worker friendly CPA, a sex worker friendly attorney, um, you know, marketers, things like that. Um, and, and so that's kind of been like my next level of SEO and that helps too, because now, people tag me in things and people talk about me and in, in things and that and that brings people back to my website and, and that allows people to contact me. Schwab Asset Management is proud to sponsor the Investment News Podcast. In today's complex world, Schwab Asset Management provides a simple, straightforward approach to investing. As one of the largest and most experienced asset managers, they offer low-cost core ETFs for building the foundation of a diversified portfolio. Their focused lineup, which includes market cap index and strategic beta ETFs, is a reflection of a commitment to deliver exceptional experiences to investors and the financial professionals who serve them. Learn more at schwabassetmanagement.com backslash ETFs. That's schwabassetmanagement.com backslash ETFs. Are a lot of your clients, you said that they're younger, are, are a lot of them using a financial advisor for the first time? Yeah, definitely. Or they're, you know, they've used a financial advisor, but maybe in a, in a, a different, more limited scope. Like they, uh -huh. they were like, okay, I'm going to open a Roth account. So I'm going to go into, you know, my Wells Fargo and, and ask them to open a, a Roth account. And mm -hmm. that's a very different experience um, than, you know, paying a, a comprehensive financial advisor and so or a lot of people you know have have relatives who who work with a financial advisor but they you know either didn't have a good experience with that or just don't feel like that person could really speak to what they're working on and so um mm -hmm. yeah i think a lot of it is is um you know showing showing my clients and prospects what value I can give them and, and walking them through it in a way that, that I'm using terms that they understand and, and you know, I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I'm approaching them with empathy and not, you know, just telling them what they're doing wrong and what they should do right. The, um, I know that something you talked to me about the last time was that you'll, 
you won't work with clients who are breaking the law. And, you know, most advisors, I guess if you're a generalist advisor, that's not something you think about a lot. But, you know, in your business or in your the, the business of most of your clients, you know, there are, I guess there are lines that are closer than in other industries. And you're based in California. I don't know what the laws are out there, but I mean, what, how do you, how do you deal with that? Do you have you, has that come up at all? Clients breaking the law and you saying, I can't work with you or? Um, you know, it really hasn't come up that much. I wanted to kind of have a, a statement just so people understood where I stand on it. Um, whereas, you know, I think the thing is when you're working with a different population besides like ultra high net worth individuals, you have, because I don't have asset um, minimums or I don't manage assets in house. Um, the people that come to me come from a variety of places in life. And there are people who are at a place where they're like, if I pay taxes, that's like one step forward and two steps back. Like I'm actually making less if I pay taxes on my income than if I were, you know, to not pay taxes. And, um, I am someone who's very empathetic to that. And so essentially what I say is, look, I appreciate where you're at. I'm not in a place where I have to, like financial advisors don't have to report that type of thing. There's no like mandatory mandatory reporting standards for that. And so I'm like, look, if that's what you want to do and that's the right choice for your situation as a fiduciary, I want that for you. I want you to do what makes the most sense for you. However, I'm not going to work with you and be like, okay, yes, we know that you're not paying taxes because that is illegal. And I'm not, you know, as a professional, I'm not, not going to recommend that. And so I try to just have that as a like, I'm very open to talking to people about their situation. If they end up doing something that is illegal, then, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to support them in that. I'm not going to work with them, but that doesn't mean I don't you know, support them as an individual, I guess. And I think that people are like, oh yeah, it makes sense that that comes up in your industry. But I think that we really kind of glaze over the fact that, or gloss over the fact that this comes up with a lot of professional services. We just, it isn't as um, flashy as sex work. Like um, I was just talking to my husband the other day and one of his coworkers, um, he resells like whiskey to his friends. So he'll find like a, he'll find a, a rare whiskey. He'll resell it to his buddy. He probably has a financial advisor. His financial advisor probably knows that he does that. And it's just like, eh, I don't care because it's it's not something that I really care about. Or people who are like, oh yeah, I always I always speed. And you know, your client always speeds or, you know, you know that they, they um, you know, smoke cannabis in, a, in an area that's not legal, but they like talk to you about it. Like, I think that there's, there are a lot of illegal things that that we categorize as, as not a moral issue. And so we're like, it doesn't really bother me that my client does that. And, um, you know, this is just something that I kind of have to speak to because it's so specific to my niche. Let's talk about the, the success of your business a little bit. You've been doing this for over two years. Have you been growing your client base and your business to, to the, I guess, to a level that's satisfying to you? To a level that's satisfying to me, yes. Um, I think that I have, um, you know, been able to work through a lot of things emotionally through being a business owner that I wasn't expecting. A part of that is I just turned 30. And so, um, there were a lot of things that, that I'm a, I'm a classic overachiever. I have been my whole career. And so a lot of it has been me trying to prove that I can do things that people told me I couldn't do. So 
that was going to college and getting a degree, that was getting my CFP, becoming a lead advisor, starting my own firm, you know, working with sex workers, being successful at working with sex workers. Um, and I, I think that I've spent a lot of my career trying to trying to prove something to myself and others. And now I'm kind of at a place where I'm like, okay, I did it. Like, I don't want to keep trying for the next thing just because like, I don't need to make more money just to make more money. I don't need to be on another podcast or in another magazine just to show that like, hey, mom, I did it, you know? Um, So I think now I'm just a little more like, okay, how do I find balance in my life? How do I really provide the best for my clients in a sustainable way for me and for them? You know, how do I still find joy in life? And um, the pandemic has been hard for people, um, especially for people who struggle with mental illnesses. And, And I myself you know, really struggle with depression and anxiety. And so that has been a big part of my journey and one that I don't think advisors talk about very often. Um, but it's it's hard to run a business when, when you are mentally unstable. It, it's hard to hold both of those things. And so I think for me, the success has been being okay with that, like figuring it out on my own and trying not to care what other people think about me and, and not not saying that success is what other people say, but having success be just me being okay with, with where I'm at and the speed that I'm growing and, and what I'm accomplishing on my own. Talk about your client base. Is it is it 100% sex workers? Yes, <laughs> it is 100% sex workers. I will say that, um, you know, my clients, very rarely does someone just do one thing. And I also think this is just like a, a trend in the job market, but most of my clients have other jobs. So I have a client who's a lawyer and also a sex worker. I have a client who's a doctor and also a sex worker. Um, and, or people are going to school or, um, for a specific career or they're going to school just for fun. Um, a lot of my clients are, are very educated, more educated than I am. Um, so I think that, I think that people have kind of an idea of, of what my typical client is, and it's probably a lot different than than you think. But what what brings them all together is yes, they're all sex workers. Well, yeah, and that's why I asked that question to to kind of dispel that dispel that myth of what people would assume a sex worker is and a, 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 a client base of sex workers. But I think you just kind of laid that out. It's it's more than you can imagine. Maybe have you ever turned down? any clients who are not sex workers? I mean, would you be open to, because I'm assuming your current clients have maybe friends and colleagues and family members or something that are saying, hey, they need a good financial advisor too, and you should check out Lindsay. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I've had conversations with quite a few prospects who weren't necessarily sex workers. um, And it just depends on the situation. Um, generally speaking, I, I just run my business a lot differently than other financial firms because my clientele is so different and their experience is so different. So I have had prospects where they are also content creators. They're also creatives. They're still, you know, 1099 or they, they run their own business and they have a lot of the same complications. Um, and so it makes, it makes more sense for them to work with me, but I, um, am an idealist and, So, you know, I take my fiduciary duty very seriously. I take being a CFP very seriously. And so when I talk to people who aren't necessarily the right fit, um, I'm pretty upfront about like, hey, 
I talk about a lot of things that wouldn't apply to you and I just want to make sure you're getting the most for your investment. I want to make sure that this is the right fit. I know so many just really, really quality financial advisors that my go-to is to be like, look, I want you to have options. So you can definitely work with me if you're just emotionally attached to me, like go for it. But here's someone who specifies, you know, specifically in being a nurse or here's someone who specifies specifically with musicians. And, you know, if you talk to them and that's not a good fit, come back to me. But like, I want you to be with the person who fits you the best. And um, I know that's not how a lot of advisors work. That's just what is most authentic to me. So you don't manage assets, right? I do not. I'm advice only. Yeah. So you don't have a custodial relationship with anyone, right? I don't. Um, I, like I said, I've, I've been in the industry for a while. So I've worked, you know, with, I've worked with Altruist. I've worked with Charles Schwab. I've worked with TD Ameritrade, um, Fidelity, all of them, <laughs> basically. Um, I, this is the other thing with my bet. I really, I really wanted my practice to fit where my, where my prospects and clients are. And a lot of them don't have existing, um, investments or if they do their smaller accounts. And so I'm fine with, because I have the experience working with different custodians to just help them where they're at. I still can legally do it. I, I could manage their assets if I wanted to, but for me, it's just easier to, you know, screen share and walk them through their, you know, what options they have with Fidelity or Robin Hood or Charles Schwab or whatever. Um, and that works out pretty well for me. Um, and then people don't have to, you know, I, I don't expect my clients to stay with me for their lifetime. I expect it to be a limited scope engagement, um, where I really focus on education and then, you know, let them fly on their own. And so I don't want them to have to like transfer their assets to me and then transfer it back somewhere else. And, um, it's also for anyone who has worked like on the operations side of finance or just done anything besides the advising part, like it is a lot of work to have custody of people's investments. Um, and I, it, it's just a lot of paperwork and being on hold with Schwab for like two hours. And that is not where I get the most energy. So I, I choose not to do it. <laughs> okay. Now you said you're fee only. Do you, do you charge uh, a retainer, a monthly fee, a, a hourly fee? I mean, how do you charge your clients? Yeah, so I do, right now I do either hourly or um, a subscription. It's basically the same. I do, you know, $3.50 an hour. Um, I don't charge it on billable hours. So basically, I have someone schedule with me. They give me their topics or their questions ahead of time. I prep that ahead of time. I don't charge them for that. And then they have an hour with me on a call where I go through my advice for them and, and give them a printout. Um, for the retainer one, it is a subscription. I have people put it on auto pay and basically it's three fifty a month. They meet with me monthly. We go over a few things each month. Um, just because it, it's finance is really boring and, um, it's hard for people to sit in, especially a virtual meeting for more than, you know, four to five minutes to an hour without their eyes glazing over. So I try to just have it be shorter conversations where, where we talk about things. It's interesting that you said you don't, you don't expect your clients to stay with you for forever. I mean, that's kind of the opposite of what a lot of uh, financial advisory practices. Yeah. They're trying to, you know, build a, you know, a generational relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that part of it just comes from kind of 
for me, the ickiness of like thinking of your clients as a book of business, um, as if they kind of aren't individual humans that, I don't know, I just, I feel like if you actually spoke that way to your clients, they really wouldn't appreciate that. Um, and, and the fact that you can like sell clients to other advisors is also super weird to me. So for me, it just came from a place of like not being comfortable with that and being like, look, I don't want to, I know AUM is stickier. I know the argument for it. I know that it's more profitable to do it that way. But for me, if you're working with people who don't just have money coming at Wazoo, like I don't want them to just be like, I need to pay you $350 a month forever because they probably don't. They probably need to go over a few topics and get to a good place. And then maybe if they're doing really well, they want that accountability they want to pay for it. Maybe they want to wait and then in a few years you know, they're buying a house or having kids or switching jobs and they want to meet again. Maybe they want to meet hourly, but ultimately I'm trying to empower people and educate them and help them. And I I don't want to just be like, you have to stay with me because you aren't functional on your own. Like, I just don't think that 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 speaks to the money situation of, of younger generations and of people who aren't ultra wealthy. That's some really, really cool way, uh, ways of thinking about it. I like that. Um, let, let, me, let me wrap up here with a, something that would help other advisors out there looking to develop their own niche. Um, maybe not with sex workers, but uh, maybe. Um, I guess competition is, is always good. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what, any advice you can give, Lindsay, to other financial advisors that might be more generalist and, and looking for some of the, some of the unique advantages of, of developing a niche, how, where they might go to start to find out a niche that suits them? Yeah. I mean, I think that it helps to be really honest with yourself of, of not like labeling yourself, but understanding what advantages you have what disadvantages you have and kind of writing those down and and seeing what that speaks to. For me, it has been for all of my career a disadvantage that I am a young woman. Now I'm finally getting old enough that people listen to me, but it has always been something where people are like, oh, you look like my granddaughter and my granddaughter doesn't know anything about money. And I'm like, thank you. I went to college for this. Um, But so for me, it was like, okay, that is a disadvantage when I am working with an older ultra high net worth audience, when I am working with an audience who is is varied in, in expression and age and experience, it is an advantage that I don't look like the typical advisor. It's an advantage that I'm relatable. People say that I'm wholesome. I'm very easy to trust. Those are those are good those are good things that have helped me. And so I leaned into that. Some people have it have a different different experience and, and they can lean into different things. Um and I remember, um, I want to say it was like six years ago, I was talking to Caddy North, who's an advisor, um, and um, she runs her own firm. And, and um, I was asking her like how she made the, you know, the strategic decisions about her, her website and, and, you know, deciding to go with the theme that she did and, and how to, you know, write copy and stuff. And she was like, oh, well, I just did what I liked. And then I figured that people who liked what I liked would also like me and we'd be a good fit. And for some reason that was just like, like life changing to me. I was like, oh, just being who you are. And then people will like that. That's interesting, which seems very like, duh. But I, I feel like a lot of people are very much trying to fight who they are to be something else, especially in a, in a traditional industry. And so I think 
you know, just got to lean into who you really are and, and let people see the true you and, and then let people come to you that, that already like who you are. And, and for me, it's worked out pretty well. It sounds like a successful strategy and, and we wish you the best at that. Um, we want to thank you for being on the program, Lindsay. Lindsay Swanson, founder of Stripper Financial Planning. Okay, folks, that's another episode of The Investment News Podcast. We want to thank our sponsor, Schwab Asset Management, obviously thanking our guest again, Lindsay Swanson, uh, our producer, Angelica Hester, and Bruce Kelly will be back next week. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to track down uh, Bruce or myself, uh, you can find us. We're everywhere. I'm uh, on Twitter, at Benji Writer. Bruce is at BD News Guy. Uh, don't forget to go to investmentnews.com. Thank you. <laughs>